Welcome to Keep It at 1600. I'm John Favreau. I'm Dan Pfeiffer. Uh, and today we have a very special guest. Mr. John Lovett is in the studio. Uh, Lovett was a speechwriter with, uh, with me in the White House and Dan. I hired him way back when. And uh, more importantly, we're talking today about, we're going to ask him about the White House Correspondents' Dinner, um, which is the uh, dinner each year where President Obama goes and uh, gives jokes to a bunch of Washington elite. Uh, this is, uh, this is, it's a real, it's a real use, useful, worthwhile event. I like it. <laughs> hey, guys, I'm on the podcast. There it is. There he is. Uh, so we're going to be talking a little bit soon uh, about that. But first, we'll talk about the... Uh, the week in politics and uh we're also we should we should tell you all that we're taping this on a tuesday uh before the primary uh so you know we don't we we it'll be a little delayed uh you probably right. all listening to this on a thursday congrats right. to so hillary we... though on a decisive victory <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so if all the polls are wrong and the demographic geniuses at 538 are wrong and bernie sanders and ted cruz have a great night then this will just become the uh dewey beats truman of podcasts It'll be great. We'll put this one in the archives. Um, okay, so what has happened this week so far? Uh, we have a um, the the Ted Cruz John Kasich alliance, um, where so basically what has happened is this is sort of a, a shoddy deal here. Um, <laughs> as as we've mentioned before in this podcast, Indiana is a critically important state. Uh, I think if Donald Trump wins Indiana, it seems like no one will be able to stop him. If Ted Cruz wins Indiana. You know, there's there's possibility there's a good possibility Trump doesn't get to 12:37 on June 7th, the day of the last primary. So, uh, Ted Cruz and John Kasich made a deal where John Kasich said he would not compete in Indiana. He would not have put resources into the state um, if Ted Cruz decided not to compete in Washington. No, in Oregon and New Mexico. It's really right. It's so funny that John Kasich making a deal to not compete somewhere. Like, <laughs> like that's a deal he made with the voters. <laughs> like, uh, you know, oh, if you want to win Indiana, yeah, I guess I won't try. <laughs> it, it gets worse than that because Indiana is winner. Well, the winner of Indiana gets, I think, 20 delegates statewide or 37 delegates statewide. The rest of the 20 delegates are proportioned by which congressional district you win. So it makes sense for a case like, you know, Cruz benefits a lot more from this deal because in New Mexico and Oregon, it's proportional the way the delegates. So it's not like, I, I don't think Kasich really wins from this deal. I don't know, Dan, what yeah, do you think I'm, about this? I, I mean, I, the whole thing is ridiculous, but, you know, and, but like Kasich, the, Cruz was like, you take Oregon. Kasich isn't even, didn't even make the voter guide in Oregon because he couldn't get his shit together. So it's like Kasich is not in the voter guide. You know what? That that is a real dis disservice to his voter. <laughs> that's a, that's you know, that was easy. <laughs> so I, I mean I don't know. So Trump had a great response to this, as as Trump often does, which is he he framed this as the system is totally rigged. He said, when two candidates have, who have no path to victory get together to stop a candidate who is expanding the party by millions of voters, it is yet another example of everything that's wrong with Washington and our political system. Ooh, that's actually, you know what's funny? You can start to see, like, like he's like, the, the Trump is learning. He's learning. He's adapting. <laughs> he's testing. He's like a raptor testing new parts of the fence. <laughs> the, uh, he, because uh, like. That was a little. That was a little worked over. That sentence, you know. Yeah. A person who's not a moron 
helped him work on some well, part you know of that. The, so I, I I skipped over a parenthesis in that sentence. Oh, which oh he, no. He, when he said, <laughs> a candidate who's expanding by the party by millions of voters, in parentheses, all of whom will drop out if I am not in the race. So he added, that's there's that there there's his character. There, he can't stop it. He can't help himself. Can you himself. imagine the, the, the Donald Trump, Paul Manafort editing process now? He just hands him speeches <laughs> yeah. and Trump well, just don't starts... You, don't... Don't you just assume the Trump editing process is like a scene from Mad Men where he just like dictates to some person typing? Yeah. He's just <laughs> like, <laughs> who he calls the girl. <laughs> that's, that's right. So, Dan, do we, do we think this helps or hurts Trump? I think I, I think it I don't think it hurts. It certainly doesn't help John Kasich. So let's establish that fact. <laughs> I think he this feeds right into Trump's overall message, which is clearly working um, in a couple ways. One. You, when you see these polls, it's pretty clear voters believe the person who gets the most delegates and votes should get the nomination, which is a crazy idea. Um, <laughs> and then and the other part is Ted Cruz, his appeal at the beginning of this process and throughout was he was not the establishment candidate. And now he is he's basically adopted the establishment position. He's actually adopted a member of the establishment as part of his alliance here. <laughs> like, a, and, like, like a little brother. <laughs> <laughs> yes. It's, and so had they done this a month ago with actual resources from actual functioning uh, super PACs, they may have been able to keep Trump under 1237 by picking off some districts and places. Here, it seems like a little too late. And I'm not sure anyone really knew what they were doing. The case that got asked about this earlier this week, and he refused to tell his supporters to vote for Cruz. Yeah. And, <laughs> he can't bring himself to do it. And well, and Cruz yeah. this morning said that and said the same thing. He's like, well, I'm, people should still vote for me in those states. Yeah. Well, I feel like this is something that was hatched between John Weaver who is uh, Kasich's chief strategist and frequent star of the circus on Showtime and, <laughs> and Cruz's campaign manager, Jeff Rowe, they like hatched it over beers and forgot to tell their candidates. And Kasich generally feels like he's the last person to learn about everything his campaign does anyway. Um, he's so... the last person to learn what America does. <laughs> <laughs> it's like they just wake him up for a nap to do he's the debate and put him back to bed. He's going to be the last person to find out he only won one state in this entire process. <laughs> well, oh, speaking well, he... of which, new Trump finally has a nickname yeah. for John Kasich. One for 38 cases. <laughs> That's brutal. That's on the, brutal. A little on the nose. It, yeah. is so, uh, it, is, it is so pathetic that these guys couldn't get their act together to do half a deal until late April. Guys, <laughs> like wh where have these people been living? It's, they, it's unbelievable. They're, it's So the, I mean, the, what, what Trump got right is, so um, someone, someone did an interview with some, with some voters about this deal. And one woman was like, I'm really disappointed in Ted Cruz that he partnered with the establishment on this. And you know what? I never did trust Ted, <laughs> which is just like I, I she must have been a Donald Trump plant. But I thought that was a great quote. There are like, there are like see... eight million Donald Trump plants. The country is just full of Donald Trump plants. That's what we've been discovering. <laughs> I would like to see a poll that like just tests the awareness of the term lying Ted because I bet it's incredibly high. Yeah. So that like I if think, you go ahead if you did a Rorschach test and just like ask people like what's the first thing that comes to anything at Ted Cruz I bet Lion Ted is near the top yeah but that might have been true in like October of 2013 <laughs> well they might have just called him dishonest but they wouldn't have had the clever nickname of Lion Ted Lion Ted with an apostrophe <laughs> it's it's a, it's a patois <laughs> so so we will see if this I mean the, here's the the truth uh, about Indiana is 
it is not like it is not like New York. It is not like Pennsylvania or Maryland or any of these states that Trump, um, it, you know, should be doing well, will have done well in after this week, um, getting like over 50 percent. The polls are relatively close. Trump is ahead in Indiana. But A, there hasn't been that much polling. B, it is a state that's not a perfect match for him. Um, so Cruz is probably thinking if he can pick off a few percentage points here, I mean, Cruz, in some of these states that don't seem as good for Donald Trump, Cruz usually underpolls what his eventual performance is. Kasich does worse than the poll show, um, <laughs> almost always. So, which is, which is wondering if you can get negative numbers. Right. <laughs> it, could, it could be a fairly close race in Indiana. And, you know, if Cruz ekes it out or comes close, he can then say, look, at this, this deal helped me get there. Um, yeah, I don't really, other than to be becoming a member of the establishment, mm -hmm. which seems like a real problem if you're Ted Cruz, in the very specific vacuum of Indiana, if he could get one or two points and win that state, that's probably worth, you know, in the risk-benefit analysis, that's probably worth it for him. And, and, are they, um, and are they sort of counting on the fact that this isn't about messaging or or what reaches voters in terms of them hearing about the deal, but it's purely a calculus based on what happens when resources are moved around? You know, like See, this isn't about anyway. It's a signal to the super PACs, right? But yeah. but it, but 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 more specifically, it's not about voters knowing. Oh, hey, Cruz and Kasich told me to who to vote for in each of these states. I should listen to them. It's more right. the resources not being there will lead to more Cruz support. Yeah, I think that's right. Right, right. It's it's a message to John Kasich's super PAC, which has been hurting Cruz everywhere um, to stop doing that. Um, do they have um? Do they have Wi-Fi at the John Kasich super PAC? <laughs> Will they get wind of this? <laughs> just, just some guy in a basement. It's just like he like lifts, takes the tinfoil hat off, and be like, "Am I needed? <laughs> Is it my time to shine?" <laughs> All right, we have high opinions of this deal. We're keeping it sixteen hundred. Um, should we? Let's move on to the Veep stakes. Yeah. Uh, the Veep stakes are here. It has happened. It started. The New York Times told us so. It, yeah, it's true. So there was a New York Times story that, uh, that said <laughs> the Veep stakes. We're just using the word now. You guys are just ironically. You're just saying Veep stakes. You just <laughs> <laughs> you just, we say it like, what's new with the Veep stakes? <laughs> no, <It's, laughs> reject. It says right here in my outline Veep stakes. So I'm just gonna say it. Like Veep that. stakes. Yeah, we were gonna say the vice presidential nominee selection process, but that seemed like a mouthful for the pot. <laughs> Um, anyway, so there was a New York Times story that said Hillary Clinton has begun her search, um, and had and had and it talked all about, you know, what she's looking for in a vice president, and it started naming some names of possible candidates. Um, two responses from the uh, to this New York Times story: one from our old pal David Axelrod, who said uh, that it was a story leaked, you know, purposefully by the Clinton campaign to sort of start pushing Bernie Sanders out of the race, or at least let everyone know they're no longer worried about Bernie Sanders and they're moving on to the vice presidential search, AKA the Veep Stakes. Um, <laughs> but, uh, and then Jennifer Palmieri, the communications director at the Clinton campaign tweeted, you know, as they always say in campaigns, those who, those who don't know talk and those who know don't talk. Something yeah, like that. Close. I, did I paraphrase no, that right? The, those who talk don't know. Those who know don't talk. Right? I think that's what I said. Love it. No. Didn't he say it wrong? <laughs> Dan, Dan, he said it wrong, right? He did. He did he I got to side with my with my fellow pod host, too. <laughs> we'll find out. I don't care. We'll learn on Twitter whether I got it wrong or not. <laughs> he got it wrong. Um, so, what do you think, Dan? I, I have to side with 
Paul Mary on this one over Axe. I think having been in this spot on a campaign. Oh, Dan wants a job in the Clinton White House. <laughs> that's right. Like, like all of the Bernie bros in my timeline, I'm just hoping to get paid by the Clinton machine. The uh, It took me a while to figure that one out. The um, I don't think, you know, this is not a story you want. The Clinton campaign has been very careful, like in their to not overplay their hand in saying it's over, right? And they've been trying, because part of this is like to build a bridge to keep the, to get the Sanders supporters on board. And it's just like, what an annoying distraction to spend the next like four days of your life debating whether you're actually picking, to, you know, like who's doing the vetting, you're picking Deval Patrick, are you picking Julian Castro? Like, you know, that just seems yeah, like but- that's not something you want. Now, I will say this, that when we ran in 08, because Barack Obama was new on the scene, we didn't have this <laughs> massive universe of former advisors and allies. Right, like right, basically right. every person in like I believe I don't think Patrick Healy, who's a good reporter, made it up. I think a lot of people who were purportedly close to the Clintons in some way, shape, or form talked about this at right, some cocktail party somewhere. Isn't the thing that it can both be true, both what Paul Mary yeah. said and what Axel said what be true? Say. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's I think it's probably true that the well, first of all, if you do if you go through the story there's some quotes that are from campaign advisors who are unnamed, which means that that means people in the campaign did it. Uh, and then there's plenty there's plenty of quotes from Democrats, Democratic allies close to the Clinton campaign, which literally could be any Democrat who lives in Washington, D.C. Yeah, I mean, that, <laughs> it's I like that an be, intern from oh, yeah. like I mean, I talked, to, I talked to Healy. I forgot. I talked to Healy. <laughs> I'm in the story. <laughs> it's, it's, it, it, so like the Clinton allies thing, I think, is just fascinating because like it, it literally you're right. It could be anyone. Like if you were to get on the metro in D.C., half the people in your car would technically be Clinton allies in some way, shape or form. Or people who periodically advise the Clinton campaign, which is another one you get a lot, which is like if you send an email to like Robbie Mook or Podesta, like you periodically advise the campaign, even if they don't respond. This story has Lady Linda Rothschild all over it. (laughs) (laughs) (sighs) No, but I mean, yeah, don't you think, Dan, that it's possible that the campaign could have said, all right, we want at least it's Patrick Healy's doing a story on the vice presidential search. Let's not participate too much, but it's not bad to have a headline out there that we're looking ahead to sort of send a signal to Bernie. And then the story just sort of got out of control because everyone started talking. Yeah, I mean, it's one of these, it's like a, prisoner's dilemma of sorts which it starts and so you're like well he's already in the story so we guess we better do something and And i am sympathetic to the clinton people because they you know it's like in their view in the obama campaign we could like not talk and like literally you know wait and no one would talk right that would just be it they could find no one who was there there were no obama advisors who did not work for us right and the clinton campaign it's like if palmieri or podesta or someone on the campaign doesn't say something it's just like it's going to be a story filled with quotes from random deputy staff secretaries from the clinton administration who are offering their thoughts on you know whether tim kane's a viable vice president or not right like at at a certain point healy had a list and there was a question and that list being accurate becomes a question they have to answer right yeah but the truth is like i would bet with the exception of maybe four people on that campaign, no one knows right. what that list is, right? There may be a list of people that they may think about, but like in 08, we basically had, you know, no, almost like it was such a tight process that 
99% of the people had no idea what was true or not. Yeah, including, uh, including the speechwriting operation, which had to write three different speeches for three different possible vice presidential candidates and <laughs> go through that entire deal because no one would tell us who it was. Do you still have your Evan By VP nominee speech? Written by Ben Rhodes. I think he had Evan <laughs> And Adam Wait. Frankel had Tim Kaine. <laughs> I feel like you should post those on Medium or something. <laughs> <laughs> and then I forget... I wonder if I think I just did. I think I worked on Biden, or someone else didn't. I don't know what was happening. I think I was yeah, working what, on the convention speech. So yeah, way to way to like pull rank there. Yeah, well, I'm not gonna. I wasn't gonna write the Evan By speech. <laughs> we should we should note for our road, we should note for our listeners right now that that Dan Pfeiffer used to work for Evan By back that in the day. That that is a fact. The road that is not a taken. fact. Yeah. <laughs> the, road, the journey. We'll never we'll never know what it was like. I believe he was quoted in that in the New York Times story too, wasn't he? Uh, Evan By was yes, yes. I said, well, I mean, he's a he is actually a pretty good source for this because he's been on the VP shortlist for like three consecutive it, presidential cycles. Always a bridesmaid. Where did he, he, he might be the most vetted human being alive. What a time! So no, it was a very so yeah, it was a very closely held process in uh, in in two thousand eight. Dan, you were I, I'm guessing you were probably part of it. Like only in the sense that. I would like go into Pluff's office and I'd ask him questions and he would just stare at me and I'd have to interpret his stares as to whether <laughs> the things were true or not. David, blink and, once. <laughs> yes, it's like, yes, if Tim Kaine is actually an option, blink. And, you know, and at the end, I, th I think if I remember this correctly, we all knew some like group of, very small group of us outside of like Pluff, Axe, Pete Rouse, uh, Bob Bauer knew that the list really was by... Tim Kaine and Biden were like the three yeah. eventualities we were preparing rollout plans for and you were writing speeches for and all of that. Uh, and so it was like we weren't confirming that was the list, but we weren't waving um, people away. Yeah, we were. Yeah, except we weren't waving away and we were trying to. And it's always hard, like you're in this tough position where people call and like, is this the list? And even if it's like and you deal with this in the Supreme Court thing, too which is you're hesitant to you don't want like them to pick a person who's not on your list to write about because if that brings you like a bunch of political blowback mm -hmm. um that would be damaging but then also like months of scrutiny on the person who your choice is like can limit the nominee's eventual decision making process um oh, right. if it becomes a big firestorm and so in a way <laughs> we had like this is probably a bad thing to admit but Towards the end, when people were really zeroing in on the three, um, and we and the press coverage was getting crazy, this rumor started um, that Chet Edwards was on the list, the Texas, the congressman from Texas, who was like oh, the yes. head of the Veterans Affairs Committee, and like Chet. we were Chet Edwards, yes, and Chet. our goal, is <laughs> Vice President Chet, like who wouldn't want that, and. Oh, Chet. Um, <laughs> and like we decided I'll be quiet to again for a while. <laughs> I'm not going to interrupt you, you again, Dan. I promise. I'm done. I'm you done. Have a, you have a specific podcast. section of this podcast that you, <laughs> I can't wait till we get to. Um, and Am I, we did not. I'm not. Oh, oh sorry. You go. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I, I'm going to hang up now. <laughs> they and so the press. Some, someone reported that Chet Edwards might be on the list, and we just specifically did not deny that. And I remember, like, all this press flocking to Texas to try to, like, stake out Chet Edwards to see if he was about to become our VP nominee. And it was, like, a good, like, look, shiny object over here. You guys look at that. Um, to give a little space, because people like, tracking the movements of yeah. our people. And I remember um, 
Mark Amender, former uh, National Journal reporter, uh, now podcaster, um, like would you whatever that website that tracks plane tail numbers was oh, tracking yeah. all the planes leaving Chicago and going to Indiana, Delaware, uh, and Richmond to see if they were going if we could find any private planes going to pick up the VP. They accidentally stumbled on a rendition. <laughs> <laughs> meanwhile, meanwhile Joe, Joe Biden took Amtrak right up to Springfield. <laughs> no, no one saw, saw the guy in aviators just yeah. sitting quietly sitting in the quiet car. <laughs> yeah. Um, so should we irresponsibly speculate about who it's going to be, Tim Kaine? Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. I think we should think about who we, – let's. Do, I think we should use for Hillary, Trump, and Cruz, okay. right? Sorry, Bernie Sanders and John Kasich. Um, yeah. Like Cruz who, is lucky we're doing it for him. Right. Who they should pick and who they probably will pick. Um, and so let's start with Hillary. Okay. Um, who do you think she will pick and who do you think she should pick? I'm going to go Tom Perez on both. <laughs> uh, friend, friend of the podcast. Of the podcast. <laughs> Give me a break. Yeah. You're like Sorry. Morning Joe over here. You show up. He loves you forever. Well, we'll, we'll see after today if that's true. Love it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, you. Oh, he's talking about me. I thought he was talking about – I didn't realize he was talking about me. <laughs> um, no, I also think – well, I was narrowing it down in my head. I think Sherrod Brown's a good one too. I don't think Sherrod will do it. I don't think he wants to. But I think I, I'm in the camp that she does need someone or she should pick someone. Uh, I'm not going to say need. I mean, she should pick someone fairly progressive uh, that will, you know, uh, make the Bernie side of the party uh, very happy. Um, and that's Sherrod. That's Tom Perez. That's Elizabeth Warren, though. I still think that's pretty far fetched. Yeah. I love the Elizabeth Warren idea, though. I know. You, I think, Dan, you had that. You talked about that i did that week. i did I, I fired off that trial balloon last week um i i think the problem with elizabeth warren and sherrod brown is republican governors um oh. but but isn't in massachusetts don't they go to a special election pretty they soon? will go quickly they will so we'll it would Martha just Coakley again yeah probably won't they probably won't lose that one twice right <laughs> um, so i like obviously because he was on our podcast i think she should pick tom perez um and i say that because he was on our podcast but also he is a he is a strong progressive i think he would obviously i think he's a good foil to her on the stump um mm -hmm. i think she will pick tim kate i think that is like the yeah. Like the this, the decision making process, will everyone want to have their idea, and it'll boil down to the lowest common denominator. And I I think Tim Kaine is great. I think he'd be a very good vice president. He would have been a good choice for us. But it's sort of like he was close. He very was, close. He was, I think he was right after Biden. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So he beat um, out Evan Bayh. I mean, that's not. I guess that's, that's right. not saying a ton. But so why, why he, do you think that's a safer bet? Because it's. I think the mentality will be. I don't think it is actually a safer bet. I think conventional thinking will make you think it's a safer bet, which is like, here's a white male senator from a swing state, and we don't lose the Senate seat um, if, if we win. Like, so that just seems like the the old way of thinking. I think he's a pretty good, you know, he's fairly which, which you're progressive saying, what you're on those saying things. is personified by the Clinton campaign. <laughs> well, not right, losing a Senate right. seat is, is the, it's a real there, thing. It's, and there are a few elections where it's going to be more, it's going to be harder to know in advance how, how much of an effect that would have. Um, you know, we just don't know right now what's going to happen with the Senate at all. It's just we have no idea what the ramifications of having one of these two uh, oddballs at the top of the GOP ticket. <laughs> right. Um, okay, so that's Hillary Cruz. 
I think Cruz should, I mean, Cruz should pick like the most likable human being alive, right? Like if you could get like Steph Curry or Taylor Swift, that would be like the ideal thing. He needs like the ultimate. I think he would. So because they're not available, Carly. (laughs) Tom Hanks won't do it, right? (laughs) (laughs) Maybe. Who knows? Um, pretending to like Ted Cruz would be an Oscar-worthy performance. So the it's like talking about um, volleyball. <laughs> uh, the more relatable volleyball than Ted Cruz. Um, the I think he would end up with Kasich. Would be where it would go. Like oh, Rubio would not do it. Um, Kasich just seems like someone just told him to show up in. Cleveland did accept the nomination. Be like, okay, that's happy, fine. Happy to be here. <laughs> yeah. Gosh. Why, why am I here? Um, let's get to Trump because yeah. this is the interesting one and probably yeah. more likely. I have no idea who. who this is, it's so tough to some, have to match Trump with someone and to imagine someone running around with him, like trying to make the case for him. So I have three paths Trump could take. Okay. One is establishment. Send a message to the party that and the elected officials that you have a like one of their own has made it. So Which that's he has said he wants to do. That's the, right. that's the hint that we've got from Trump. Right. That so that's like Kasich, Cruz. I'm sorry, Kasich, Rubio, Christie. I don't think there's a chance Rubio uh, does it. Um, Kasich, maybe he'll just be convinced. And Christie, I think, actually probably actively wants it which is why he's allowed himself to be um, just absolutely embarrassed for the last two months here. So that path, path one, path two is um, he could just go batshit crazy, right? Typical Trump path. So that's like Sheriff Joe Arpaio, Sarah Palin, <laughs> something like that. Um, and then third Corrado. would be Cor- Corey Lewinowski. <laughs> right, right, yes. And third would be outsider serious, which could be like, Carl Icahn, um, I would bet, I think the smartest play for Trump in that role would be like a military person, like, you know, not that I know they have any to do it, like Stanley McChrystal or um, David Petraeus or some did very we, serious person. Did Jim Vandehy just call into this podcast? Yeah, so the same. <laughs> that's right. Our, we'll our, get to do, that can in we a get, Can we get their names off the innovation party? <laughs> <laughs> Jim Vandehy, the, yes. uh, the, uh, we're talking about the editor of Politico who in the Wall Street Journal basically called for a, a military junta funded by Sheryl Sandberg and Mark Zuckerberg. <laughs> yeah. to we would tweet out country. this. We would tweet out this op-ed, but it's behind the paywall, and we don't want to make America stupider. Right. So it's <laughs> if you happen to have a Wall Street Journal subscription, don't read it. Um, <laughs> but I think, like, this is actually based on a plot line from the latest season of House of Cards, but would be to find some disaffected military, military general who thinks Obama hasn't gone after ISIS enough, right? Mm-hmm. And that's like – and that would give people some faith that's like, oh, you know, there's someone – you know, it's like, it's like a more extreme version of Cheney to Bush. Yeah. What about a, I think what about a woman? Do we think Trump right. goes with a woman for to match up with Hillary here? Like a Nikki like a Haley. Joni Ernst or Nikki Haley. Nikki Haley to me is she the seems one. like she wouldn't do it. Well, whether or not she, no one's ever said no. But That's uh, true. <laughs> so it'd be a first. But I mean that this may be the first person to just say absolutely flat out no to. But but uh I mean she would help him with in every way that he's the worst. Jan Brewer. <laughs> Jan Brewer. <laughs> that would be amazing. <laughs> Sending a real signal. Um Okay. What what were you gonna say, Dan? Uh, so what, do you do you have a pick on who you would think he should be, he should pick? I mean, I think like a. What about Rudy Giuliani? 
Oh, Break interesting. Break him out of mothballs. <laughs> <laughs> Have him get a suit on. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you, you know he wouldn't say no. That's right. He's well known. Well, what he'd say is 9-11. <laughs> Right. Wait, actually, can't they not be, both be from the same yeah, state? Yeah, they can't. They, oh, yeah, they right. can't. Trump would be... have to like change his citizenship to Florida or something, That's or right. his registration to Florida. Right. Isn't that what Ch- Cheney did that, didn't he? Yeah, he, he had to go fly back to Wyoming and secretly register to vote. Oh, you, know who, you know who was just crazy enough to say yes? Jim Webb, Democrat Jim Webb, who said he'd, oh, who said he'd a, prefer Trump over Clinton. That's a superb idea. The, then it's, like, then he's got the, like, look, Republican-Democrat unity ticket. <laughs> that's actually i mean it would be amazingly insane but on paper it's a pretty good idea and then she picks tim kane <laughs> what a weird thing right, Maybe Barry, the most boring vice presidential debate in history the jim webb thing just made me like nervous in my stomach <laughs> uh let's move on to the white uh white house correspondence dinner uh where we will interview our uh so far quiet guest john lovett <laughs> Yeah. I'm glad I'm going to finally have a chance to participate in this podcast. <laughs> um, so, love it. I've never really asked you many personal questions in life. <laughs> You're my next door neighbor. <laughs> How did you... Um, so, one thing everyone should know about Lovett is before he was a political speechwriter... He actually dabbled in stand-up comedy. Yeah, sure. Can you tell us how you... <laughs> Contrary to his performance on this podcast, that is true. <laughs> how, how did you get into comedy? Yeah, so like, when did I, this happen? I, uh, I graduated from college, and I moved to New York, and I was thinking about being a lawyer. And so I was paralegaling during the day as a temp. Mm-hmm. And then... And, and because I was a temp, they didn't really have me do anything, so I would like, fill out my law school applications. And then at night, I would go to open mics around New York... And just try out doing stand-up. And I ended up doing it a fair amount. Did people come? How many people were there? Well, so... <laughs> so was, there, was there anyone in the crowd? So the open mics are filled with all the people participating in the open mic. So right. that's that's a fun group. And then uh, uh, I also ended up doing a bunch of these uh, bringer shows where they would let me have stage time if I convinced enough of my friends to go and pay the cover right. and buy two drinks each. And, uh, and then I was sort of at the stage where I was still doing these bringer shows... Uh, but I, ha- I was running out of friends, and it was time for me to either decide, like, are you going to go on the street and hand out cards, you know, or are you going to just do the open mics, or are you going to give up? And I chose to give up. That's good. <laughs> um, so when was the first time that you were writing, speech writing for a politician, and someone said, hey, we need jokes. Is anyone funny? Can anyone write a, a joke? So I was a, uh, like, a junior press person for Senator John Corzine of New Jersey. Mm-hmm. And uh, somebody reached out and said that... Uh, Hillary Clinton was speaking at a roast for Barbara Walters. And I had just submitted uh, a writing sample to become her junior Uh speechwriter. And so it was this great thing that actually ended up putting me over the edge and getting me a job there. But in the the meantime, it was a strange thing. I hadn't been hired. I hadn't really heard that they were going to hire me. And they asked me to come write jokes. And so it became this incredibly important, like, audition. And uh, uh, so it was me and uh, a couple people in, in, in... in Hillary land writing jokes uh, uh, for her to make fun of Barbara Walters. And she ended up skipping the roast. She couldn't make it for votes, but it got uh-huh. me the job. Yeah. Oh, that's good. There Dan- was, I'm trying to remember what. <laughs> Dan, do you have a question for John Lovett? <laughs> so, so, so many questions. They don't want to ask me questions because they know me. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to try to stick it to yes, no. Here. <laughs> so you have, um, written and helped write comedy speeches for president obama and for and for hillary right and what is the difference uh what what difference like obama is i think probably most people agree more naturally and more natural comedian than hillary um 
So what's the difference between writing for the two of them and how, how did, like, what's the path to make Hillary Clinton funny? Um, that's a great question. I remember we, uh, we did, she, uh, Hillary did the, then Senator Clinton did the like New York state correspondence dinner once. Mm-hmm. And we went to Albany and we did this video and actually we should pull that video because Donald Trump is on that video saying he wants to be president and nobody's discovered it yet. Wow. But, uh, it's a uh, 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 find we, that video, people. It's, <laughs> you should find that video. It's pretty. It's the uh, we 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 did it in like a day. So I'm not saying the production values are where I would have wanted them to be, where anybody would want them to be. But you make do. <laughs> uh, but <laughs> but uh, it was pretty funny. Um, I think that the I look. I think the answer is always uh, uh, to not try to make the person seem like someone they're not. Uh, I think it's been really fun writing jokes for President Obama because he is this he has this kind of great detached air about him he's in on the joke right and i think um i think with uh hillary uh she's a little bit more old-fashioned and a little bit more of um kind of a an earnest nerdy joke teller and so i think it's less about like kind of like uh, like commentary jokes and more sort of hard old-fashioned like monologue style jokes i think works the best yeah we sort of we've learned that obama does really well joking about sort of the circus of politics right because he doesn't like it right 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 <laughs> so those jo- and jokes that you wouldn't think would work for a typical politician because they're not like set up punchline right but they're a little different have worked for him i think the, the best example of that which we should tell the story is the 2011 correspondence dinner yeah yeah, yeah. when we uh when he took down donald trump apparently temporarily um, <laughs> uh, real anyway, fatal blow yeah exactly uh but what, why don't you tell the whole story of that dinner because that's that's i think all of our favorite our favorite uh correspondence dinner moment yeah i mean we we so first of all we had written a different speech i believe because we had done a whole lot of it was before uh the birth certificate was actually re- released to the public right we had worked on a whole speech and then but we knew the birther thing was in the news. Yeah, so we were going to make a bunch, and we knew Trump was going to be there. So we had this whole a bunch of jokes we were going to tell about the birther thing, about Trump saying that a, you know the president wasn't from here. We had we had a, a, a lot of jokes like that. And then I remember you came over uh, to our office and was and we're Cause like Dan because Dan called me right, and <laughs> and I remember I was thinking like what are the we 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 said it out loud because it was so crazy and it was going to be such a problem. Like, could you imagine? if today's the day they're going to release the real birth certificate because then we'd have to rewrite this whole thing. And Dan, do you remember, do, do you remember my reaction when you told me about this? You thought you thought we were fucking crazy? <laughs> no, I was also really pissed because I was like, are you, like, here was this big moment where the president was going to have his long-form birth certificate flown out to D.C. so he could present it before the nation at a press conference. And Dan was like, you know, I, I should tell you that this is happening because it might affect the dinner. And I was just like, are you fucking kidding me? This is the worst. We have to rewrite these jokes. Dan's like, okay, there's bigger things at stake here. (laughs) This is is like a summary of all of our conversations of real world news where you got super upset, not because of like whatever the big problem was, but because it affected the speech writing process. Yes, that was it. I had one (laughs) one thing in mind. So then we had, I think there was a Wednesday, wasn't it? Mm -hmm. And so we had two or three days to rewrite the speech and to rewrite any parts of it that were related to the birther stuff uh, and Trump. Uh, and I think it actually ended up making it better because it really forced us to take what we had and make it work. Um, and I think we had the vague idea for that Simba video. And then yep. we decided, like, let's make that the intro. Let's have him come out. So or let's the have Lion him, King video. We did the Lion King video. 
Uh, oh no no that was we, that's when we had the uh, I'm a real American. Yeah, the we Hulk had, Hogan song. Uh, and then um, we were trying to figure out what we were going to do about Trump, and I think it was I think I talked to Judd Apatow about yes. it. And then and and that was like that was uh, we just talked for like half an hour just sort of writing down ideas and jokes, and it ended up being. Judge just sort of ranting about how ridiculous it is that people take Donald Trump seriously that led to this great joke about uh, Celebrity uh, Apprentice. Yeah, Celebrity Apprentice. Which was and but the the reason that joke was interesting is because I remember you got off the phone with Judd and you were like, all right, it was it was a very long, like six minute riff yeah. <laughs> on Donald Trump and the Celebrity Apprentice. And um it was like, you know, oh, I'm actually gonna I have it here because I'm gonna I'm gonna read it. Because it's just, it's one of my favorite. Um, for example, no, seriously, just recently in an episode of Celebrity Apprentice at the Steakhouse, the men's cooking team did not impress the judges from Omaha Steaks. And there was a lot of blame to go around. But you, Mr. Trump, recognized that the real problem was a lack of leadership. And so ultimately, you didn't blame Lil John or Meatloaf. You fired Gary Busey. <laughs> and these are the kind of decisions that would keep me up at night. Well handled, sir. Well handled. Was, a, was it funny that, that for that joke to happen, there was like, I'd say a solid 45 minutes to an hour where I'm just reading through the synopsis for episode after episode of Celebrity Apprentice, which was a dark moment. But I, I remember I saw that and I said to you, like, I don't know if Obama can do this because it's such a non-traditional joke. It goes on for a whole paragraph like this. And we brought it to him and he was so happy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and he did right on the spot. He started delivering the joke to us. And it was and so funny. It, it was in, so funny. In the, uh, in the practice session. He, he says Gary, Gary Busey. <laughs> and <laughs> Gary Busey. The, uh, but I, yeah, and I, it actually changed the way we did those speeches that it's changed that speech and it changed i think the way we think about them overall we we've kind of ever since been more willing to give him much more subtle jokes that are that are on performance actually is that the is that the same year with the mitch mcconnell joke is that no that was that was a couple years later but that yeah, was that's the same a similar idea, idea which is I, there every every uh, john and i were talking about because we were reading through the uh the old speeches and just going through them first of all we make the same CNN joke every year, and I don't think we should stop. No. And I don't think and, and I'm preview. Being, get ready, guys. Get ready. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but uh, uh, we 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 every year we manage to get in one or two jokes. That's not even a joke. That's just Obama yelling at the press in a funny way, or, or, <laughs> or yelling about somebody. And the and the one from uh, about Mitch McConnell was uh, people are always telling me, uh, uh, why don't you get a drink with Mitch McConnell? Why don't I get a drink with Mitch McConnell? Why don't you get a drink with Mitch McConnell? Just yelling at people. <laughs> Which everyone laughed at, but the press soon realized they were like, there was, that wasn't a joke. That was just him being angry. <laughs> well, it spawned like several more ring down columns about Obama's unwillingness to play the Washington game. Right. And didn't, didn't, uh, didn't uh, Mitch McConnell take a picture with he had a beer and he gave Obama a glass of red wine? Yeah, it was pretty well played, I thought, on his part. That's good. good yeah, I mean, if you, if, you, if you believe in those kinds of, you know, gender heteronormative drink choice <laughs> norms I, I thought he invited him to drink some bourbon yeah. in kentucky yeah but the photo had a oh, glass of wine okay. That's yeah. because obama is yeah. an effete liberal which you know fair enough yeah. <laughs> there are reading through the old the old dinners though there are certain jokes that repeat themselves like the color of uh john boehner's skin right we had a couple of, yeah. anyway. and then we did uh we did a did two years in a row we did jokes about michael Steele. 
uh, in the heezy. And then he did it again the next year. And, and the president ad-libbed a line being like, I do this every year. He goes, it's okay. It still works. <laughs> That's another, he's a very, he, he ad-libs very well up there. He just kind of like, he doesn't ad-lib entire jokes, but he throws an aside at the end of the punchline when he knows that it's going well. Yeah, I mean, I don't like it when he adjusts the wording on the fly like we did <laughs> Like somebody did make a make a choice here about how to phrase these jokes exactly. And, you know, you don't have to stick to the script. You won the votes, but let's let's sort of. That, that, person, that. that person is on this podcast. Yeah. It was yeah. me. You, you leave you leave the country. We'll do the jokes, right? Yeah. Um, I think for I ahead. think there are a couple things on this. One, it'd be, you know, I, well, the thing is interesting that we learned the first year of working on this speech was it's a White House correspondence dinner. It's theoretically a political dinner. It's theoretically filled with politicians, but. Jokes that are very insider politics tend not to work because, like, 50% of the room is celebrities who were just here because their publicist told them to go and it'd be a cool way to get press. Right. You I know, remember like, the, the, uh, there was a, I think it was either the first year or the second year, we did a bunch of jokes about Politico. Yeah. Uh, and it was really gratifying because a sizable portion of the audience did not get it at all because they don't read or know about Politico. Right. <laughs> but it was really fun for us. It was great. Yeah. Some yeah, jokes we just write for ourselves. That was be the joke that killed and literally like the, ga- the cast of like the Big Bang Theory, which is like, what are you talking about? Right. But we did get to watch the Politico. I was at the Politico table that year and the look of pain on their face was gratifying to me personally. So... <laughs> Thumbs up. And that was the last time you were invited to the Politico table. <laughs> that's, that's right. Well, I think also it'd be interesting for you guys to talk about the process for writing the speech and the roles that people inside and outside the White House play in it. Love it as the uh, joke writer in chief. Do you want to walk through that process? <laughs> uh, well, yeah, what do we do? We, so we start. All flattery here on Keep It at 1600. <laughs> this is not what it's like. You know, I don't really listen to this podcast in part because I get exposed to the podcast in real life on a basically daily basis, but it's not usually this nice. (laughs) Um, uh, uh, So we start by gathering jokes. Uh, Well, actually, no, we first have a conversation. It's 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 whoever's going to be involved in the speech. Uh, Me, John, uh, uh, Axelrod, uh, Dan, you're part of that. Tommy Vitor is a part of that. Cody Keenan's a part of that. Uh, When David Litt joined the White House, he became part of that. Uh, And. We start brainstorming joke areas, video ideas, just very, very uh, thirty thousand feet, and then and then we start writing jokes, and uh, we reach out to comedy writers, we reach out to uh, political people that consider themselves funny, some of which cor- do that correctly, other which just want to participate, and everybody gets a turn. Yep. <laughs> um, but uh, uh, we start collecting as many jokes as we can, and uh, it's interesting, you know. A lot, a lot of people want to help, and, and every year a different, you know, it's a, through the grapevine, a different famous comedian or celebrity or joke writer will, will kick in their jokes. And uh, even the best people uh, struggle to find the right tone for this. I think that, like, the really, really funny writers who are not of politics, they write a bunch of great jokes, but they're not appropriate. And then I think a lot of the political people that submit write a bunch of appropriate jokes, only a couple of which are funny, which yeah. is fine. Everybody everybody <laughs> writes a bunch of, you know, it's it's all about writing far more jokes than you could ever need. But then we end up collecting hundreds of jokes, hundreds of jokes by the time the whole process is over. And you're whittling that list down and you end up with a list that I think has somewhere between two and three times as many jokes as you'll need. Meanwhile, at the same time, you've narrowed down any... Uh, audiovisual stuff you want to do, whether you're going to do a video or a slideshow or, or, or some other thing that requires some advanced work. 
uh, and then you basically get those two things to the president. You get we sent him a long list of the jokes we're going to use and a couple ideas of where we're at with the video. Uh, and he'll go through and say, oh, I like this, I don't like this. President Obama usually, he'll cross out a couple that he's like, nice try, guys. <laughs> that's not that's not <laughs> happening. Uh, usually because we have failed to recognize uh, that this isn't the most important thing he's going to do. And probably the Correspondence Center shouldn't be something that puts like peace talks at risk. <laughs> well, interesting, interesting story there is the uh, year of the Trump right. uh, fiasco. Um, it was the day of the dinner. And uh, so that was Saturday, and uh, Lovett and I and David Axelrod were supposed to meet with the president one last time to go over the jokes. And we get to the Oval Office. We're standing outside, and you know the doors closed. And his uh, personal secretary at the time, Katie Johnson, said, "You know he's he's on the phone with the general in Afghanistan. You're going to have to wait. We're going to have to push the meeting back." And we're and just like, "Oh my god, we got to get to the hill." That? Don't you understand? It's the day of the dinner. We don't <laughs> have time to make changes. <laughs> we have to do a walkthrough. This is unbelievable. <laughs> so finally, um, we he he lets us in. Well, and, no, but wait, before oh, yeah. wait, before we get let in, we're standing out there, and there's a very serious man from the National Security Council who's there uh, because he's in charge of making sure the calls are you know, sort of doing the logistics for the president speaking to a general, and he has a very serious look on it like he's focused on something and we we say oh this is the perfect person to show our videos to <laughs> and so we make katie pull up on her computer the lion, all, king. The lion king thing and i think a couple other things and we start showing uh, uh uh this very serious person our our comedy and he's not really laughing and so we just sort of chalked it up to his bad mood right and then, <laughs> so then the president lets us in and he's like hey guys you know all the jokes are great he's smiling he's, he's happy. tossing a football tossing a football around yeah He's like, all the jokes are great. He goes, there's one punchline um, where you're talking about, you're revealing that actually the Republican candidates in 2012 also have, you know, non-American roots. And Wait, so the joke so the joke was, we had a joke that, uh, uh, you know, Tim Pawlenty's run into some problems with the base uh, because they found out about his real name, Tim Osama bin Pawlenty, right? <laughs> I would say it was a B-plus joke. It was fine. It was, in a, it was in a string of them. You had right. Michelle Bachman is from Canada. We yeah. did like a whole bunch of them. So... President's like, I would just use someone different than Osama there because uh, I think it's been played out. I think it's an old joke. Everyone talks about bin Laden. Like, who cares? You know, he's like, I would use some other bad dude out there. Like, try try Hosni. <laughs> Hosni Mubarak, you know? And then we were like, like, that's not funny. That's not as funny. I mean, I, and we, but we were so relieved that he didn't have... Of uh, very many changes to the rest of the speech. In hindsight, because he was focused on something else. And that something else we later learned was the, the general that he was on the phone with was General McRaven, and he was talking about the order he had just given to uh, kill Osama bin Laden, <laughs> capture right. and kill Osama bin Laden. And he didn't want to joke about it at the dinner. And the other thing is, if you remember, the president asked us to add... Uh, um, God bless our troops. God, yeah, God, keep uh, our troops keeps, safe. And, and, and to a section on the troops in the serious part at the end of the dinner. Yeah. And it was like, okay, you know, maybe for some reason he sort of wants to do that this year. He's done it before. You know, it's not, it's not a strange thing, but it was unex wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't necessary, strictly. Yeah. That, was our, that was our favorite story. And Love then, it. Do you, have a, uh, do you have a favorite joke from all the years? Oh, my. That is a uh, – do, do I have a favorite joke? Um, you know, I am, I am still – I. I love when we get the opening right. Yes. I am, I love when we land on that on like the perfect joke to, that just that kicks off him speaking. That's like confident and very simple. Like I I still like one. I think it was the first one of the first jokes we ever that he did. Maybe the first joke he did, which was um, 
I'm Barack Obama. Most of you covered me. All of you voted for me. That was- and it just <laughs> set the tone. It set the tone for how he was going to be at these dinners. Um, I love that joke. Yeah. What, I'm trying to think of others. I mean, that was that's that was one of my favorites too. Dan, do you have a do you have a favorite? My, one? My, the one I I will always love is the celebrity apprentice joke. That is the favorite. I watched I that know. speech again. Um, in preparation for in my rigorous preparation for this podcast <laughs> every week. And when you watch that and, and like the way president took down Trump and then you like turn off the, you put, you know, you stop watching the video and you watch the news, you're like, holy shit, that guy is about to be the Republican nominee. It's a pretty amazing thing to imagine. One other, one other joke I always, I really liked was, uh, uh, when he was joking about how it was, it was the either the first or second time of the second term, and he said, uh, "You gotta, you have to admit, I'm not the strapping young Muslim socialist yeah. I used to be." I, love, I was really happy. You know with what that. I just saw that I I, I really liked is um, <laughs> I'm also hard at work on plans for the Obama Library, and some have suggested that we put it in my birthplace, but I'd rather keep it in the United yeah, States, yeah. which is a typical joke. But then he goes, "Did anybody not see that joke coming? <laughs> Show of hands, <laughs> only Gallup, maybe Dick Morris, because <laughs> it was right after the 2012 election when everyone called that's it." That's right. right. That's right. Yeah. That was good. I also like the one from, I guess that was last year when it, the, I don't have it in front of me, but it was like some people have a bucket list. I have something that rhymes with bucket list. Oh yeah. The bucket list was good too. It's great. It's great. Some good, uh, some good times. All right. That is, uh, that is all the time that we, uh, that we have for today. It flew by guys. It flew by. Uh, thanks everyone. As usual, this is keeping it 1600. We're on channel 33. You can follow us on iTunes, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. And also tune in on Mondays on HBO Now, HBO Go, and HBO On Demand to see After the Throne. I thought Andy and Chris did a great, great episode, great first episode this week. Yeah, they were awesome. They yeah. did such a good job. So, so tune into that. Uh, see you next week. Talk to you soon, guys.